Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John, and I am alone today for a uh, John Thoughts. Uh, my dad is abroad, and he did a Jim Thoughts last week. I hope you enjoyed that. He recorded that from uh, Dallas, Texas. He's visiting his uh, mom and friends there, and it sounds like it was a blast. He's still abroad, uh, and we all got sick. He got sick abroad. I got sick at home. I don't think the two are related, working on the timeline over my head. So you're, what you're about to see is like, a, or listen to, is like a Michael Jordan in the 97 NBA Finals. Like, he's out there with the flu, and he scores 38 points, and it's a miracle. And uh, so so get ready for that. Um, <laughs> but um, the lad boys are not famous for being stoic when they're sick it's kind of a running joke of how much of a baby we are, babies we are when we're when we're sick but uh Lindsay's been putting up with me and I'm on the mend feeling pretty good um but today I'm going to talk about for my John thoughts uh these disruptions in life like being sick and uh, this one hit me really hard I don't really know why um but more like like mentally like physically it still sucked but it was very strange mentally, and I'll talk a bit about that, and uh, also um, worldview disruptions, which me and my dad had one kind of recently, and um, yeah, just kind of how disorienting that is, and how to kind of get back to a sense of normalcy, very strange. Uh, before that, I know I'm alone, but I figure I might as well do a, I'll do a story time, mostly because this is something I've already kind of talked about, so I'm going to do a story time, and I'll do a, a show and tell just for fun, just because I... Uh, I like to. I like to talk about things that I like. So for a story, I've talked about this before, I think, where uh, this place I would go in Colorado when I was young. And I probably didn't start going there. We lived in Colorado from my from when I was 6 to about 15, thereabouts. And probably didn't start going to this place, even though I lived in the roughly the same neighborhood the whole time, a few different houses. But um, didn't start going to this place until I was in middle school. So, uh, but basically, probably two miles from my house, maybe less than that, uh, was a place called Cheese Ranch, and I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this before, but just this huge green belt that goes through the massive um, suburban sprawl, suburbia, I don't know how you'd call it, of Highlands Ranch, <clears throat> Colorado. Excuse me, a little raspy still, but, uh, and it was really cool. It was named, it was originally a ranch, now it was just kind of city property, but it was a big green belt. And had trails going through it that were uh, paved, uh, really nice kind of like middle class wilderness. I don't know what else you'd call it, um, but a cool place. So I'd ride my bike down there, and uh, uh, just summer breaks, weekends, just for fun, and then ride my bike back up. and And it was a really cool place. It had a community garden where my mom my mom talked about wanting to grow something there. I don't know if she ever got around to it, but we would walk down there, um, me and her, my sister, and uh, look at the garden or. When I'd go alone, there's this river that would run through the place, and uh, a few bridges went across it, so I'd either go there with a friend, and we would, like, hang out by the rivers, or sometimes it met up in ponds, or we'd explore uh, really, really good memories there. And I remember oh, one uh, memory of my sister, Tina, who, uh, obviously I love, but we don't have a ton of, like, memories of us just, like, hanging out together. She's the middle child, and I'm the youngest, so kind of a an age gap, and anyway... 
one I can't remember what led to this, but we both went to Cheese Ranch together. And she's like seven years older than I am, six six years older than I am. And we went down there and walked in this really cool, like shallow, pebbly part of this really like clear part of the river. It was awesome. We just walked around. Anyway, I went back when I visited um, a few. I would go back every year, at least once a year. Once we moved up here, just because my some of my siblings are still down there uh, for a little bit, and then friends down there and all that. And so I I went down there and went to Cheese Ranch. I was like, oh, this would be fun. And they had put in all along the shores of like the the river, all along like the little I don't know what you'd call it, the little inclines. They had put in fake rocks, like long stretches of fake rocks with like fake um like carvings in them, like like from like an indigenous people or something like that. And like hieroglyphics and stuff for kids and like little fake fossils. And uh and I was so peeved. I was so mad. It still makes me mad to think about it. And I just don't know why. I don't know why they would do that. I guess it's like it it felt more like going to Disneyland. So it's like whatever rivers were there and the bridges were concrete and so like obviously it was still um artificial in a way because it's for one this whole green belt runs through again a ridiculously huge suburban neighborhood i didn't realize it growing up there how weird this was until i went back you know with kind of fresh eyes to realize oh this is insanely like like you could go on a hill and look and just see like cul-de-sacs like almost to the horizon is insane uh so anyway the, the wilderness is already kind of artificial but to see it like made that artificial it was really bizarre and uh and it's kind of that thing, you know, you can never go home at that point. You know, I, it was already, tr- things change even when they're not that dramatic. But now you, I really can't go back to the place the way it was. And I imagine that happens more and more the older you get, where places you've liked or, you know, like a Norma's Burger Place in uh, Nisqually. Loved that place when we first moved here. Now that's closed down, it's gone. Place where me and Lindsay had our first date, the coffee shop in Kirkland. Uh, the place is closed down. So that'll, I guess that'll just happen more and more as I grow up. But I love that place. I love the memories there. and uh, I'm sure it's still great. I'm sure kids are still have, making great memories there the way I did when I was young. But it hurts a little bit. It's very weird. Very melancholy. Anyway, talking about disruptions, I'll talk about being sick first because it's more fresh in my brain. It was really weird. So, got sick as normal. I've been sick a lot of times. I, all growing up, I'd get sick at least once a year. And I thought this was pretty normal until I talked to Lindsay who has been sick, like, she could count on one hand the amount of times she's been sick in her entire life. She's got, I guess, just like a killer immune system. But, uh, I don't, I guess. <laughs> I would have thought I did, because everybody thinks their body's great at everything, I guess. But, um, anyway, so, especially at Northwest, I got sick all the time. And, uh, probably because living too close to a bunch of people. Uh, but anyway, I hadn't been sick in a couple of years now, and then uh, I got hit with some flu something. And, tested negative for COVID and, uh, but I still couldn't, it, I got to, I had like a week of symptoms. And then I could, I lost my sense of smell just with like some sinus stuff. I don't know if you got that where like you, like when you have a cold, you can smell like the, like it's really gross, but you can smell like the snot or something in your nose. Like you're, you're all stuffed up and, and all you can smell is like this weird kind of like sick smell. I don't know. It, it happens to me every time. So I wasn't that worried about it as far as COVID. Cause again, I tested negative, but I still had lost my sense of smell. Uh, and so, and it really, really bothered me for some reason. And, uh, Lindsay thinks that it's cause my eyesight's so bad that my, uh, that my sense of smell is, is good. And because my sense of smell is good, I rely on it more or something, something like that. It makes sense in kind of a comic booky kind of way, but, uh, it really, really has bothered me. And to, to the extent of kind of like, uh, 
like a numbness kind of thing or like an apathy. You know, when you're sick, like I had a fever for a bit and I wasn't feeling good. It's already, everything just feels off, but not being able to smell. It's like, I couldn't, like I lost like a sense of place. Really bizarre. Springtime is like one of my favorites because I, because of my, because of smelling. I just, everything smells good. Everything is so green. And so like I'd walk outside and I almost couldn't even tell what the temperature was. It felt like I was just like numb. And I couldn't smell anything. It was like like one, if you go in by your senses, one-fifth of the way that I sensed where I was in space and time was gone. I don't know. It sounds super dramatic, and I feel super dramatic. I feel silly for how deeply this affected me. And part of, and, and also not feeling good. I just didn't really care, you know, what... I, I, it's very strange. So I had this sense of numbness, and as I got to feel better, the numb feeling, the kind of apathy feeling, was still around. And I remember one night I was falling asleep and I felt kind of panicky. I was like, what if this never goes away? What if I'm just like, like a, like numb, depressed person for the rest of my life? It was a very scary thought, honestly, very, very terrifying. And, uh, and I'm feeling better and I'm getting back, you know, to some sense of normalcy, but the, the disruption was so dramatic and I've been sick so many times. It was a two, two week sickness and I'm still obviously on the mend, but, uh, so, so I'm not all the, all the way better. But my state of mind definitely is. I have more energy, things like that. Really, really weird. And then so the other disruption was uh, me and my dad were looking for topics, and he had listened to this podcast that he uh, wanted me to listen to, see if we could have a conversation about it. And so we, uh, I listened to it, and he said it really, really like messed with him, like it, it, uh, like it, it had this kind of disruptive kind of effect. And so I listened to it. And the same exact thing happens. It feels like, like we could feel in our guts, like, oh, I don't, the, the podcast was about hell and it was a kind of a, what might be called like a universalist idea where like everybody eventually, like nobody is eternally punished in hell. It was this theologically liberal stance. Uh, and they backed it up and it wasn't about the, it wasn't about what the podcast was about necessarily. It was, um, because it, so what I'm saying is that I don't necessarily think that it was like they are correct necessarily. Me and my dad are both still chewing on this, but it was that they loved God, right? They loved Jesus and and, and we love Jesus and, and they, uh, this was all through the Bible through like original language used and they, they backed this thing up biblically in their own way. So they, they weren't just going, you know, into the unknown, making stuff up. Uh, as we do, you know, we, we rely to not as, not as if we go into the unknown, making stuff up, we rely on the Bible the same. So it was, it was, that was the, um, the the yucky feeling was, oh man, we both are trying our best and we got to these two different conclusions. And what if, and that was the other sickly thing. What if I've been wrong this whole time about this thing? And if I'm wrong about this, what else am I wrong about? It it just, it's just snowballs. It just, everything falls apart. So, uh, and that was a big disruption in the sense that you have a, a worldview, right? You have a, you have a, a bedrock worldview, uh, or, or we as Christians do, or I bet you everyone does. I bet you, I bet you, I could say most people, even without a faith, uh, have a bedrock worldview that they were, that they kind of base their assumptions on. And then, uh, and then that, and that's like your normalcy, like 90% of your days are going to look kind of similar and they're all going to rely on this thing. And then your days look different and I hate it. And I've talked about my love of, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, routine before love my routine. Anytime it's disrupted. Like, uh, when I've had to very few times, I've had to go to school from a place that wasn't my home. 
like if our if we had like renovations going on so we stayed in a hotel for like a week or if I stayed at a friend's house on a weeknight for some reason going to school f- like like hanging out on a weekend the routine's different weekends are always the wild west as far as routine goes but school is not so going to school from a place that wasn't my home or my bedroom always always bothered me really strange um but in the same way your, your routine gets disrupted even worldview wise or health wise and i'm just like torn asunder i'm like like very very affected and and again i feel um really i don't know weak i guess is the word you could use so anyway i was thinking you know like how do i get back from this i knew it would happen eventually because that's how normalcy works is eventually you just get back to normal like it's the you know it's the it's how your life goes so you actually have to work very hard to change your normal it doesn't normally just happen that way um barring some kind of like trauma and so i uh remembered actually a while ago i was just hanging out and on uh youtube there was on the the little you know column on the right side that shows you videos that they want you to be watching until you you know obliterate into dust so they get more ad revenue but anyway this time it was actually kind of helpful. There was a video uh, about a man who was uh, a former uh, Muslim from a Muslim uh, Pakistani family, and he converted to uh, to Christianity. He, he uh, found Jesus, or vice versa. And he was talking about how it was kind of like an insider knowledge thing, like how to talk about Jesus with uh, Muslims and his own testimony. And uh, his testimony was a years, years long thing with this really close friendship that he had. Uh, his name, I'll, uh, um, I actually brought it up this time on the internet because I feel so bad about often not quoting what I'm talking about. His name was Nabil Qureshi and, uh, he died in 2017 from stomach cancer as a young man in, in his thirties. Um, very sad. But, uh, before that he converted to Christianity and had a, a ministry, uh, and, and did some really good stuff. And, uh, anyway, his, the kind of critical moment of his, conversion i hate using because it's, it's like teams right it's like oh well before, when he put on my jersey i really mean he had his life changed you you know what i mean i don't need to i'm being too sensitive with myself the point of his conversion was when he was so wrestling with this these truths and he was so downcast and he realized because he was he had been reading the bible for years this guy, very very scholarly kind of guy so he, he had been researching this kind of the these points for a very long time and so he remembered these passages he had read in scripture about uh, the, the comfort of our God that, that um, when you're actually, when you are persecuted, when you are sick, when you're poor, when you're hungry, our God is actually there. He blesses you. He's with you. That, that's kind of his thing is that the proud and the strong um, are opposed to, to God, to Jesus. So he realized this and, w- and went searching for the passages again and found this comfort there and realized that in his pre in his faith the the muslim faith that comfort isn't there god isn't a comforter there he's a he's very very different and uh and it was a very it was the nail in the coffin i to ironically put it and really really powerful stuff i'd recommend uh, researching the guy just his life was um i think it was really great and he's very very eloquent uh he you know had this dilemma of telling his parents because they were obviously still muslims uh, that he had converted, which was, you know, a, an emotional death sentence. Like they would, they would, and they did eventually, uh, cut him out of their lives as if their son was dead. And he, you know, he really, really took the words of Jesus to heart that, uh, 
that if he didn't confess, you know, that that he was born again, that Jesus had saved him, that Jesus was real, that he was his savior. Point being, he really put it on the line, told his folks, and they and he was he was right. They disowned him. And I don't know if they ever reconciled before he died. It kind of breaks my heart to think about it. But anyway, all that aside, that our God is a comforter. That's that's what I was <laughs> long, long walk for a short drink of water, as they say. Um, but our God is a comforter, and so I was thinking about that, and that maybe the disruption is an opportunity for not only for growth in the in the theological sense, where oh, this uh, I have a challenge now. I have something to investigate, something to find, so that I can get back to. Uh, baseline back to the bedrock understanding of okay this crisis appeared a question i don't know the answer to in my faith and it was so um traumatic in that sense and in that kind of disruptive to my normalcy but it's an opportunity to learn because really i think it shows maybe not a weakness but you something i had we hadn't considered in this hell conversation obviously that there are people who um have biblically coherent arguments uh, for the alternative. And so it's an opportunity for growth. And in the other sense, in in, in my in a failing of health and that kind of disruption, uh, it is a sense to understand through actions and through experience what those passages of Scripture are actually talking about when it talks about the, the sick being um, comforted and the, the, the poor. It uh, I, I brought up a passage I was reading in... Um, Samuel recently, and and this, this is the story of Samuel. Is his mother prays for him when he was like the beginning of the book of Samuel. He it's really more about the kings of Israel than it is about Samuel himself. But a young woman who is barren, so not that young, I guess, but prays for a child, and she has Samuel, and she um, donates him to the temple. He she gives him to God, and he grows up in the temple and becomes a judge of Israel, and then appoints the first king of Israel. But she gives this prayer after she. Uh, has Samuel and before she leaves him at the temple to go back home. That's really, really amazing. I'll pick up in the middle of it. This is first uh, Samuel two, four. Uh, she says the bows of the warriors are broken. And again, this is part way through the prayer. I didn't want to uh, read the whole thing to you because you can read it yourself if you want. I'm sure you get more out of that than me reading it to you, but the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And footnote there that the horn, she mentions that a few times, is kind of like a symbol of of strength or blessing. But anyway, this is how I kind of made it back to a baseline. And again, aside from actually just the passage of time and my health improving, is reading these passages. The Psalms are chock full of them. You know, David crying out to God in the wilderness while he was pursued by Saul and and many times he was pursued <laughs> kind of a, a troubled life but we have a comforter God it's really really amazing and uh, so to answer the theology one I don't have an answer there yet I'm still working on that but I have resumed a sense of peace I'm not distraught about it anymore because I know you know this wasn't a 
I wasn't confronted with the idea that maybe like God isn't good or maybe Jesus wasn't the son of God. Like not these, those for me at least at the moment are very rock solid and I could lean on those and, um, and I still have so much peace and, um, I don't know. We have, we have an amazing God. So, uh, so I hope that can be helpful to some people if you're going through some kind of disruption of your own. And I know this is so petty because my, my, whatever flu I had that lasted, you know, two weeks, uh, is, is small potatoes. There's people with very long-term diagnoses that this, that it becomes a lifestyle, right? You have a, you have a lifestyle of, of poor health now. And not, you know, not as in eating poorly, not working out. I mean, you have a lifestyle of illness. And I have no idea what that's like. I can't even imagine what that's like. So to, for me to complain about this, this flu, is, I'm, I don't mean to sound in, entitled or, or however. This is all just, a, just a testimony of what God did with, with me for me while I was sick and um, disrupted. So if you are in a long longer-term health crisis, I'm very sorry. And... Uh, and I don't mean to say that I've been where you are, um, but I know that God is is with you, and uh, and I hope that this could be helpful to people in and in, in out of those kind of scenarios. Uh, for fun, I would like to do a show and tell, book review, movie review, whatever we call this now, media show and tell, where I share something I've been reading with you, or uh, music or movie, or uh, but I'll share a book uh, just because I've been reading one. Uh, I'm reading. I've already shared one Western book, which is funny because I've only ever read two, or I'm reading my second ever Western, so I'll share this one too. Uh, it is Lonesome Dove, a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, Western from 1960 something, written by Larry McMurtry, turned into a uh, short series in the 90s, starring Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, the short series and the book are both award winning. And me and my dad were going to watch the show. We watched the first little bit of it. And, uh, and I didn't know it was based on a book. So I looked up the book. We started watching the show. turns out like the week that the author died, which is really bizarre kind of coincidence. But, uh, anyway, uh, the book is huge. It's like 900 pages long. It's very, it's almost a thousand. It's 900 and change. And, uh, so I was like, I don't think I'm going to read this. When I looked that up, I was like, I was like, maybe I'll read it. And then I was like, oh man, a thousand pages. Uh, but I got the free sample on Kindle, which is they give you 10% of the book for free. And 10% of Lonesome Dove is a freaking 100 pages. So I, I was deep in this book by the time the demo ran out. And this is why they do this probably because at that point I was like, well, I got to buy it. I got to see what happens. And so uh, I did. And now I'm only 60% of the way through. It feels like a lifetime because that's, you know, like three normal sized novels. But it's it's something. And it's very mature. I want to give that as an asterisk. It's, um, it's, you know, there's, there's fornication and, and, and murder. It's respectable. It's not, it's not gratuitous in any of these things. I don't think I, I wouldn't call it that, but it depicts them in the same way, you know, something like the Bible would it's it, as, as they happened in a historical kind of way, even the book is fiction, but it's really good. It's the most grounded Western material I've interacted with either book or, or, uh, otherwise, uh, it made me, cause I, I fantasize about, you know, kind of like wild west kind of stuff sometimes. And this is probably, I've read that this is a very realistic Western. I wouldn't know necessarily, but as far as what, uh, you know, the life of like a cowboy was like, right. Or like life on the trail in these towns and frontier towns in the South. Uh, it's brutal. 
I would hate to live at this time of human history in America. It's a really, really hard, uh, nasty living. And so it's kind of been nice to like wake up a little bit from like the romanticized West. And I, I always knew that like Sergio Leone films were like, uh, romanticized. I always knew that, but then to have like this very grounded depiction of the West, it's a bit different. I definitely wouldn't want to live at this time, but the characters are amazing. It's and the writing is amazing. It's really 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 neat. Also, one more thing in my talk of this disruption is I hope I learned something because, you know, if this if if I feel totally better tomorrow, which I hope so, uh, this will have only been two weeks of my life, and so I hope the lesson I learned here would last longer than that. But I remember I was reading a biography by uh, or a history about Ulysses S. Grant, and it talks about how he wrote the president and and Union general. Uh, he wrote his own biography on his deathbed. He got sick with uh, cancer, throat cancer, and he uh, was kind of in financial hard times at the time. So he wrote a a biography in like the last couple months of his life. And he did that so that he, he sold it. It sold gangbusters, obviously, because he was kind of a private guy. So people were, were very curious. And he's a controversial pre- president, too. It sold gangbusters, made his family lots and lots of money before he died. And so that he, they could be, you know, protected there. They were be, they would care, be cared for after his, his death. That was why he did it really, really cool story. But I remember thinking, so what he wrote a book, he was just sitting down. It's not like he ran a marathon and now I feel like an idiot because I've tried to do any kind of mental task right now. This, this other, this book I'm working on as, as a Jim and John project, this kind of grade school chapter book. Uh, I couldn't have two coherent thoughts and I was like, I couldn't convince myself to write that. The idea of doing this even a few days ago, recording a John thoughts was kind of sounded impossible and, uh, I feel way better now. Thank goodness. But, uh, so he was, you'll see this grant at the time had deep in throat cancer and terrible pain was all drugged up and he wrote a very coherent and, uh, and well-written biography. It's amazing. So this is my public apology to Ulysses S. Grant. Um, bless up, I guess. But uh, not that anyone knew I had even wronged him mentally anyways. But uh, it wasn't. it's not easy to, to do non-labor-intensive tasks when you're sick. Anyway, I feel like I've rambled, and I feel like if any of you thought I was tough, now you know that I'm not. That I'm actually very, very sensitive with these kinds of things, I guess. More so than I'd like to believe. But I would also assume... I'll put it out there. I'll assume most people are more sensitive than they would like others to believe. So, so there. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, sorry things have been disruptive. We we celebrated our two years, and then things kind of, now we've done two Jim and John thoughts. Uh, hopefully we'll be back to some kind of normal very soon. Uh, but we'll keep you guys updated, or, uh, or maybe you'll just be hearing from me alone, or my dad alone, or we'll see how it goes. But we're so grateful for you guys uh, listening. And if you want to reach out to us, we would really, really appreciate that. We love hearing from our listeners. You can do that at our email at info at jimandjohn.com. There's no H in the John, just J-O-N. Or you can go to jimandjohn.com and submit a comment there. We also have a blog there you can read. You can look at our published materials there. Or you could go to our Instagram at, at jimandjohn. Again, no H in the John. And uh, comment on a post there or DM us or however you want to do it. Whichever you, way you, you, is easiest for you to comment us, we would love to hear from you. And again, thanks so much for listening. We will, in some variety, we will talk to you next week. Have a good week. 